History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 48, making a breakthrough in the Gambia in the 14th century. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out, or else they're going to be spoilers ahead. Should I cancel my other engagements this evening? And welcome to History Happened Everywhere, The Verdict. My name is Ryan Weir, and I am here in the HHE studio with the replacement filter to my handheld vacuum. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. I'm, a prof- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to that. I'm, I'm the replacement, so I'm new and clean, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm the one who sucks. <laughs> <laughs> But we are not alone. As always, we are joined by HHE's Disincontanto Dispentore de Dati. That means disenchanted dispenser of data in Italiano. <laughs> <laughs> it's Judge Dursley. Hello. How are you doing, Judge? I'm not too bad. Yeah? Not too bad. You sound perky. Do I? You do. I might be pinky, but I'm not perky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peter, I just have forgotten everything. Will you please give a 60-second reminder of what happened in last episode? I certainly will. In this episode, it was off to West Africa, to the Gambia, the country within a country being a semi-enclave of Senegal. We learned about the arrival of Islamic traders from the north beyond the Sahara Desert, the growth of various empires around West Africa, including the Empire of Mali, established by the legendary Sundiata, and we investigated what life might have been like in a village near the River Gambia, growing rice and other grains, tapping palm trees for oil, and listening to the stories of the people's history, recited by the minstrel diplomat known as Ajali, accompanied by the harp-like Kora, or its basic cousin, the Bolombata. But, for all that, did we make a breakthrough? Only the judge could decide. Last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley, the lovely Paul Dursley. Excellent. That's great. It's all flooded back. Right? It's all come back to you, isn't it? It's so helpful having those little reminders. (laughs) (laughs) I really loved the episode. I thought it was really fascinating. You brought a lot of detail from an area and a time where very much wasn't very Tricky stuff, wasn't it? But what what does it matter what I think? We're not here for me, Peter. We're here for the judge. So, Judge Dursley, what are your opening remarks? I think it was an interesting episode. Ooh, that's solid. Solid start. I'm happy. What interested you particularly? What tickled your fancy? What stood out? The thing that got me writing a little note was the thing about psethology. Remind me what that is. Their way of voting. Yeah, so for the people who haven't listened and didn't get it in the summary, yeah, people in the Gambia vote by dropping marbles into a bucket, basically, or a drum, sealed drum, and they count the marbles at the end so they don't have paper ballots. Well, that, that's... You know, really classical antiquity. That's how they used to do voting in classical Athens, known as cephology, casting of pebbles. Ah. So for the pebble, read the marble. And I, you might know that you know, people who study elections and those sort of things are also called cephologists. I didn't know that. I've never heard the word cephology. Pebble casters. Pebble casters. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? Just... Cast your pebble as your vote. I wondered how they make sure that people don't take a bag of their own uh, marbles to the voting booth and (laughs) just go, oh, that's 50 for my guy. (laughs) (laughs) They must be specific marbles, mustn't they? So you've got to have this specific marble. 
Do you pick a coloured marble or do you put a marble in a specific box? It's a specific box. It's a sealed drum. So the marble doesn't tell you what the vote is. The Romans used to have a thing, didn't they? Like where in like a, a Roman garrison, if, they, if, if one of the soldiers had broken the law, each soldier would take a pebble from a bag. And of the 10 pebbles that were in there, there was only one white pebble. So one person would take out the white pebble and they would be the one that would get punished. So you didn't do the crime, but you still do the time. Exactly. Yeah. It's the origin of the word decimation. Decimate. That's right. Decimation. Which is only removing one in ten. So quite often, you know, when you when people say something is decimated, I think it's it's known to be more than one in ten. But technically, decimation is only only one in ten, which is that much. Yeah, that's one of those words that's changed its meaning really over time, isn't it? Because although yes. nowadays, really, when someone says something's decimated, they really mean completely destroyed, don't they? Whereas not not one tenth destroyed. But it was. Every tenth soldier, or every nth soldier. So if if he if he picked it out and he was number six, mm. everyone who was number six would be killed. Oh, I see. There was a lot at stake in that lottery, isn't there? So there was, yeah, there there was one in ten, hence decimation. Wow. Talking of lottery, I was doing some research about the Delassi. You were talking about the currency of Gambia and I was. how like it's their own currency they decided not to go with the west african franc thank you that's right um so the delassi first used in 1966 it derives from dalla which is a nickname for the french west african franc which itself comes from dollar so dollar dalla all right delassi i think we might have said this before do you know how the word dollar came into usage no sort of it's a middle european word uh, the original pr- pronunciation was Tala, T-H-A-L-E-R, and the T-H changed to a D. Da- Tala, Dala. Tala, Dala. Yeah, and it was to do with the Maritresenstala, and it turned into Dala, and that became effectively a trade currency, and that's how the word dollar came into existence. That's fascinating. In January 2020, Mr. Saihu Balajo was on his way home from his wedding and uh, he got a phone call from Afrocell, which is like the cell phone company in Gambia, who told him that he'd won one million Delassi in their weekly crazy money lottery. Awesome. Yeah. How about that? He said that he's going to invest it in a business that would create work opportunities for young people to help curb the high rate of youth unemployment. Oh, well, that's very noble and decent of him. Yeah, we could have done a sketch, couldn't we, about... Lassie the dog, but like De Lassie. What's that, De Lassie? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> a currency in the well. Ah, well, next time. Another lost opportunity. I like the sketches. They sort of link together this time, apart from the one at the end, which didn't understand right. at all. So I'm going to hold my hands up here. That was an error on my part. <laughs> it was a late night uh, editing error. And uh, we're going to play that sketch again at the end of the verdict. So apologies about that. That's okay. But I don't think that should be held against, say, the researcher of the program in their grade. Would I would hold it against them. It's all part of the program, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I feel I may have been sabotaged in which case. <laughs> How late was this exactly? <laughs> no, but the other sketches, I liked how, how they all linked together. You had the same thing appearing in them. Well, it helped that we had a third person to assist with the voices. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Thanks, Dean, indeed. Oh, so that was that was who Dean was, because this Dean just appeared. He's actually been in a couple of our sketches before. Oh, I, so you're not as good at voices as I thought you were then. <laughs> So, Peter, 
When you were giving us a bit of a background to The Gambia, yes. uh, one of the things that I feel you missed on telling us was the megalithic stone circles. Ah, the megalithic stone circles. Yes, I actually did have them in my list of things to talk about, but they didn't really quite fit with the theme I was going for. And uh, so I thought I'd uh, save them for another day. This doesn't ring very true. How will you know about megalithic stone circles? That's a very good question. The reason that I know is because Peter and I did one of our little animated bites and we covered the mysterious stones of Gambia. Yep, for real, he knew a thing. <laughs> for a oh, okay. I, I thought I thought Pete had sort of slipped you. Oh, I forgot to put this in. Can we talk about it? No. No, no. I, I did have it on my list of things to talk about for the same reason that I knew about it and it was from our region, but uh, it didn't really fit for me. So I just left I'm it I'm learning stuff from doing this podcast, You're you see. better man day by day. Right. So let me give you some background. 29,000 stones, some as high as two meters and seven tons in weight in over 1,000 circles spread across an area of 30,000 square kilometers. This is the world's largest collection of stone circles. It's like a thousand Stonehenges. People like to put big stones in circles. That's what I've learned. Over the years, yeah, for sure they did. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, Yeah, they don't know when they originated. They're not certainly not as old as Stonehenge, but they go back at least 2,300 years ago and may have been created up until the 16th century. They found pottery shards underneath them, human burials, grave goods like iron spears and such like that. Uh, they reckon that they were etched in a quarry with iron tools and then dragged there. What I was really looking for, Pete, is to see whether or not aliens had anything to do with this. I thought you might be seeking the alien explanation yeah, for things, as, as is your won't. <laughs> I spent a good time on Google and in a rare example, not a single example no of someone saying, yeah, for sure, this was aliens. This could be job for Ryan then maybe you could be the first man to suggest alien interference right I'm heading out to the Gambia and I'm going to go and see these circles I'm going to work out whether or not Little so, Green mended it with the technology available at the time there is no way a circle this perfect could have been established by the Senegambian people what's your, what's your well, theory Paul well there was because it happens all over the world right well that's so, my point how do people get all around the world touring aliens exactly well, I guess it's an astronomical thing. Uh, there are alignments of the stones. I didn't see anything about that. It just seemed to be more burials. When I looked at it, I couldn't really find anyone who had really any good idea as to what it was all for, other than, as you say, some of the burial traditions. My guess is, is that it evolved over the centuries. It may have started out as some sort of astronomical tool. Well, once the first guy's been buried with a stone circle, now your next guy's like, well, now I want a stone circle. <laughs> so bigger even one. bigger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How big would your stone circle be, Paul? I would think it would be about three foot in diameter. <laughs> I'd like the stone circle uh, the exact size and shape as the one in Spinal Tap. I don't know that one. So in, in the film Spinal Tap, they arrange to have a, I think it's a Stonehenge on stage at full size, mm. but they mistakenly write down the inch symbol instead of the feet symbol. So they have these really small Stonehenge on stage and to compensate, they hire a selection of little people to come out and dance around the stones. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I think that's quite funny.
I did you slightly dirty. I only gave you a few Gambia hints and I've left out a couple of things that will cause you some embarrassment, Ryan, if you didn't do them. Okay. So I uh, remember I taught you how to eat and you'd bring food from the center of the plate to your bit of the plate. And Oh uh, yeah, I, was, I thought you house. meant about like not buying razors at night. Well, that, I mean, I guess it's it's similar because it's things you shouldn't shouldn't do, but uh, this is food related. Okay. So it is very bad manners, apparently, in Gambian society to smell food in front of others before eating it. Don't smell it. Just eat it. Just get it down you. Which I can only assume is perhaps like you're sort of casting aspersions of fresh okay before you, you crack on. Uh, it's rude to decline food. So even if you're not hungry too bad, you're going to have to have a little nibble at the very least. So have a few mouthfuls if you can. And if you if you aren't eating or you've finished eating, you don't watch other people eat. You clear off and let them get on with it. Oh, really? So there you go. That'll mind your manners when you're having a meal with your next Gambian friend. So there's no mum, dad, can I get down from the table? Uh, no, I think children actually eat separately as well, if I remember rightly. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, in the next village. Uh, you need to do a, You need to do a sketch about it because they couldn't have very good dinner parties, could they? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> hey talking of dinner parties where you listen to music would you go and see hang on west oh, african whoa, whoa, side story can we review that link no, for a moment no, we can't. it's too late we're on a clock let's move on <laughs> um, to, answer, to answer your question have you have you had any copyright claims yet yes we did we got one copyright claim we're having a weird time on youtube at the moment with our copyright claims <laughs> we had one claim and that was for the hhe theme music <laughs> <laughs> well that'd be pretty bad news if we can't use that no 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 it's totally fine yeah it's it's, it's creative Commons, so it's totally fine crikey no i i thought the west africa what was it west africa or west side west, west african, african side story. story west african side story it was very good. I think you need to work it up. I think so too. That's what you were saying, wasn't it, Ryan? It's Lion King meets West Side Story, the two biggest selling musicals on Broadway. How can it be anything other than a roaring success? <laughs> oh, dear. Right, I want to talk about something because there was another thing that I did the research on and right. left out because of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have wasted my effort <laughs> having researched it. So I'm bringing it up here with a crowbar if necessary. Uh, actually, crowbar being a good link. Okay. Because it's about iron and furnaces and uh, the making of iron. So do you remember we previously talked about how Sub-Saharan Africa didn't have a Bronze Age? They went straight to the Iron Age. Yes, I remember this. So I, I was reading about uh, how they did iron making back in the day, and I found a video showing them recreating some of this uh, skill. So smiths apparently in the village had a special place because it required a lot of skill, obviously, and knowledge. Yep. So your blacksmith is a sort of magical person, and he controls a force called Niyama, which is kind of a universal energy. And he's got a lot of Niyana, and he can harness Niyana. And uh, the gods give the smiths particularly a lot of Niyana, well, so they can do their work. Um, and they're called uh, Nyama Kala, Kala meaning handle or staff. So they've got a grip on Nyana. That's uh, by the by, obviously, because it's still a technology, right? So they, they bless the ground and they dig the iron or just dig it out of the ground. 
and they make a furnace out of clay basically so it's like a it's like a, a cylinder maybe six foot high or thereabouts tons of charcoal in it they get hand operated bellows which look a bit like two drums with that really loose skin and you woof the skin up and down and that's pushing the air through the charcoal and the iron you drop the iron in and then you do this for hours and hours the video i saw they did it for 10 hours wow uh, i didn't watch a 10 hour video <laughs> yeah. skip to the end but they then eventually there's some of the slag which is the sort of stuff that isn't quite iron but melts and comes off and you drag that away and you end up with this lump of iron just at the bottom of the furnace which you dig out and then you heat that up and you hammer it into your tools but if you want a bit of iron that's this was about the size of uh, a grapefruit that was 10 hours of effort to get that <laughs> that's a lot of effort that's a lot of calories yeah for sure it was looked like really hard work it must have had incredible value probably more valuable than gold well yeah certainly the just not surprising that the smith was a very hallowed person <laughs> their mm. ability to do this was absolutely critical and patience not to just be like ah oh, i'm giving up on this yeah can you imagine hour six oh, you know what i'll use wood <laughs> yeah yeah what kind of things are they making out of the iron they didn't make anything in the video I watched, so, but I assume you would use like hose for working the ground. Spear tips would be your possible uh, usage. Boot scrapers. Boots, very much boot scrapers because the swampiness <laughs> of the flood plains, you'd need something to get your wellies off on. Yeah. <laughs> I think they that there's a prerequisite of having a boot. Well, you know, they were very forward thinking. I think one day we're going to have boots and <laughs> this thing is going to be useful. <laughs> 10 hours of work. I made a boot <laughs> scraper. <laughs> Paul, have you, I mean, we know you've not been to West Africa, but the Gambia, they speak English there. Feel mm -hmm. like maybe that's an area you might want to visit it, it'd be quite it would certainly be interesting to visit it to see you know how it how it relates to senegal and i think they drive on the right now in uh gambia but it must have been odd in colonial days when sort of if you were driving from one side of senegal to the other you got to the border had to change sides of the roads then you got to the other border and changed back again right but what would you be most want to go and see given everything that we've spoken about what, what was the thing that you would be like would be hot on your list well, it's a it's a it's a small country, so you could possibly do the whole country in one trip, couldn't you? So, I think I'm not a twitcher, but I do, I do like looking at birds. I've got a nice pair of binoculars, so it'd be nice to take the binoculars down and have a look at the interesting birds because it must be on a lot of migration routes, wasn't it, from Europe to Southern Africa? Yeah, I was reading just this week that there is a red kite which flies from South Wales to the Gambia. Uh, obviously the Gambia for winter where it migrates and then back to South Wales where it nests. And it's just literally this week arrived back in South Wales. Oh, that's an individual it, kite. Much... I thought you meant it was a breed. Yeah, there's okay. CCTV on its nest and when it gets there. So they track where it's going. And it's just this week returned back to Wales. Oh, great. Hmm. You'd think it'd have better taste than go to Wales. What happened? Did one bird one day go, I'm just going to go this way. I'm sure there's something cool here. And then found the Gambia and went, this seems like a good wintering spot. I mean, it must be something a bit more gradual than that. But, but you do get sort of times when wind blows the odd bird or the odd group of birds, don't you? And you sort of sometimes end up with albatrosses in the northern hemisphere and birds thousands of miles away where they should be. That's a really good point. I mean, in my mind, I've always just assumed the bird has just gone, it's cold here. 
I'm going to go where it's warm and not stopped until it was warm enough. But how did they know? But why does it go in the same place as all of its forebears? There's something, you know, there's something inherent there, or it just follows them, possibly? It's a good, good point. Is there something in memories that are passed on? Is that a thing, Paul? Uh, I'm sure acres of, of scientific literature have been written on it. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah. Because it's not random. No, it doesn't appear to be random. I'll have to get Tom's talking birds in. <laughs> well, like, what's your theory, though? Do you think that, that we remember certain things Well, I from seem, our parents? I recall reading that there's a kind of worm that you could teach to go through a maze, and then you could chop it up and feed it to other worms, and those worms would then know how to get through the maze. Wait, what? Now, I'm not sure if I've remembered <laughs> that from science or a comic book, so okay. I'd treat it with a certain amount of uh, incredulousness. Let's but... say that's true. If we chopped you up and we both ate you, would we then remember how to do things that you do? I don't think your skill set would massively increase, to be honest with you. You might be a bit better at Fortnite, and you would know Jay, Jay Huss, Huss, the Gambian rapper. <laughs> Outside of that, I think that's pretty much it, I'm afraid. So maybe me and you should eat Paul. That would be a much more sensible <laughs> dietary choice. <laughs> We'd both become smarter. Right? I want a breast. And a leg. Oh, thank you very <laughs> much indeed. I'm just going straight for the brain. I, I know I'm fat, but that's going a bit far. <laughs> I'm not so, going for the liver. That's fine. You can have that. <laughs> Marinated was, in red wine. I've now got an image of poor Paul on a rotating on a spit over a fire <laughs> with an apple in his mouth. <laughs> So talking of eating things, I was fascinated by the idea of African rice. I did not know that was a thing. No, me either. Asian rice was just... I, I never knew that. Well, how about that? Well, African rice is no longer just in Africa. You can also get African rice now in Brazil, Guyana, El Salvador, Panama, areas of North America. Now, can you think of a possible reason why <laughs> African rice might be in North and South America? Is it travelling with people? Yes. And those people may be less willing travellers than uh, you might hope. That's a very polite way of saying brought with the slave trade. Reluctant tourists, I like to refer to them as. Yeah, that's right. No, it was brought to the Americas uh, by the slave trade. Um, it, became, it was a primary source of nutrition on plantations. Cheap crop, I guess. Um, it arrived in Brazil around 1550s. And then in the US around 1784. Um, how it got there, though, is quite interesting. There's a couple of stories as to how African rice got there. Um, the first story says that an African woman introduced rice by hiding grains in her hair uh, and then growing it for people when she arrived because she didn't. She, it was the only way of taking food that wouldn't be found. Well, can you imagine if you got any of that hair rice? <laughs> like some hair rice, yeah. Alternatively, uh, the other story is that uh, a slave ship was shipwrecked by a storm and the rice, which was carried as kind of provision to feed everybody with, floated to shore. And there it went into the 
brackish water, which apparently African rice can tolerate, and grew wild naturally from there. I was just going to pick you up on that, yes. Because of, of the two, that sounds the more logical one until I thought, hmm, salty water, but now you've explained that. So that is clearly what happened. Yeah, well, there is a Swiss journalist in 1752 who wrote that uh, an African woman did bring it, containing it in her hair. So, you know, whether or not that is just a, a legend or not, I don't know, but it does sound well, like... She must have a bloody great hair. Well, rice is pretty small. Famously, you wouldn't want just one. no. Well, they could, those can both be true, couldn't they? I mean, there's, I'm sure there are many ways for these but things to another travel. Another argument is it could be in human feces that came over with them. More rice, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> you have to admire the lady's foresight. I, I can see this is going to be problematic. Pop a bit of rice in the hair, boom, solved. So, Peter, you had best be scared. I am very nervous. Because you know what? It's that time. We have come to the end of the line. It's time to step into the dock, Peter. Yes, sir. Prepare to face the people's judge. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, let me just put the black cap on. Oh, dear. Then will the defendant please rise? I do. (laughs) It's not a wedding, is it? (laughs) Uh, Your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on Dursley Factor. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. What did you think of this episode? What what tickled you especially? I actually liked this episode. That's not a word you usually hear. No, it's absolutely not. I think you hit the brief very well. Ooh, I was worried. That's what I was worried about. I did like it, so... Um, dare I? Okay, I'll give... And A minus. Oh, and the crowd goes wild. Okay, right. Well, Your Honour, uh, let's move on to the next category. Entertainment value. How entertained were you by this? And I can only imagine very. Well, I wasn't as entertained by it as the sort of the ge- the, ge- the general thesis of it. One thing that put me... I just couldn't understand this thing at the end. Yep. <laughs> let's move on. So what's the grade? <laughs> Which... I'm afraid I'm going to have to knock it down to uh, a B. Sabotage. <laughs> um, right, well, finally then, Your Honour, may I ask for your verdict on factual content? Well, there was a lot of factual content, but I don't think any of it was to do with the time period. <laughs> Not really, no. I disagree. So... No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> No so I, I think a B is sufficient. Ooh, that's better than I hoped for, actually. That is an A minus, a B, and a B. That's incredible. That's strong. Good. Feeling good. Come on, the Gambia. Okay, well, so we reach the final verdict. Peter, you have an opportunity to enter a plea if you choose to do so. Please do so now. Yes, I would like to plea for mercy, point the finger at Ryan as a saboteur, a flipping fifth columnist, dropping my grade, and point out that the intellectual nutrition of that episode was unparalleled. Uh, unlike the actual nutrition of the dish you made. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you a D for the dish. Understandable. <laughs> I'll take that. But I, I, w- I won't put that in the average. I won't put that in the average. <laughs> Your Honour, the defendant stands before you. Have you reached a verdict. Yes, I have. In which case, 
I would ask most respectfully for your ruling. I will give a B plus. B plus. Justice is served. I mean, look, well done, Peter. Thank you very much. Okay, up next, it's me. It's my turn. Episode 49. Super excited to hear what you come up with. Well, uh, I have an episode called Abracadabra in the Northern Hemisphere over 24 hours. So that's what you're going to hear about. It could be anything, couldn't it? I'm really really interested to see how you bring that together because it could just be a hodgepodge or it could be an elegant solution. I don't want a hodgepodge. If it is a hodgepodge, if it's a list of stuff, I won't be very happy. If you either hodge or podge, this is going to be bad news. I want a coherent essay. I'm going to just <laughs> need a couple extra days. <laughs> okay, well, look, that's what's coming up next. But that is it for this week. We have reached the end for this week. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on the show, or just to say hello, you can totally do that. And you can reach us on social media or through our website at hhepodcast.com. Or you can email us at Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. We love hearing from you guys. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation can really go towards bringing the show to new listeners. If you're a social sort, you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, you can find us still at HHE Podcast. Uh, subscribe to them and you'll get an alert every time we post a one-minute animated HHE bite like we did today. That's right. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And I expect some nice emolument, Peter. Absolutely. When I look that up. <laughs> it's a type of paint, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Tin of an arrives. And a big thank you to you, Peter. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dean. So you know I'm this episode of The Gambia. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Pete. What's this? Oh, this is, it's Dean. Hey, Pete. Hey, Dean. No, no, wait, look, what's going on here? Well, you know how, like, Dean has been helping us out with some of the sketches on the show? Yeah, yeah, he's been super helpful. Yeah, well, I thought it'd be nice if we put him in the end one. Oh, yeah, actually, that is a good idea. All right, so, uh, shall we? Yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dean. Hey, Pete. Hey, Dean. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. All right, so where do we go from here? Um, I don't know. We haven't really got much further than that, had we? Dean, have you got anything? Well, yeah, actually. Um, so you know how in this episode of The Gambia you were talking about crops? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, how do Gambians get their flour so fine? Um, I don't know. How do the Gambians get their flour so fine? They mill it. Dean, you're fired. Yeah, it's right. Oh, excuse me.